WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQA, the official podcast of the WMQ Comics website. I'm your host, Dan Grote. This week, Matt Lazowitz is out. Uh, nothing to worry about. He got caught up in some work stuff. He'll be back next week. But we're still here, and we still have a guest. Uh, Steve Morris, who runs the comic site Shelf Dust and is Features co-editor for the MNT newsletter, is here to talk about the top 100 comics issues of all time, a list he curated over at Shelf Dust with input from nearly 100 comics journalists from all over the web, uh, including yours truly. We talk about that, we talk about lists in general, we talk about the mission of the MNT, and we talk about whether Matt Fraction and David Aha's Hawkeye is the younger generation's watchman. Uh, meanwhile, what's going on over at WMQComics.com? Well, let me blow the news horn. Uh, we are launching a new service on the site called WMQ&E Editing Services. Basically, if you have a crowdfunded or self-published comic, or you run a comics blog and need an editor, a quick proofread, or just some advice, uh, we can do that for you. In my other life, in my day job, I've been editing things professionally for more than a decade, and I would be honored to ply my trade on your project. In return, hopefully we can continue to expand the site, keep adding content, keep adding writers. You know, not just keep the lights on, but keep them shining bright. So if that's something you need or something you're interested in, please go to WMQComics.com, click on the WMQ&E Editing Services button on our site, and reach out. Uh, Content-wise at WMQ, we are gearing up for the relaunch of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and the resurrection of Cyclops in the pages of Uncanny X-Men. Coming up this week, you can look forward to reviews of Buffy and Blossom 666, and uh, Matt Lazowitz is looking to tailor this week's bonus reading column to four stories about the man with the optic blasts. Uh, Actually, you should go back and read Matt's column from last week, too, in which he writes about uh, various philanthropic efforts associated with comics, stuff like the Hero Initiative, the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund. Uh, also, what did you guys think about the Major X announcement? Uh, Rob Liefeld is back at Marvel with a new mystery X-Men project, and it looks, well, it looks how it looks, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, but we'd love to hear your thoughts on it. Feel free to add us on Twitter at WNQ Comics, and we'll talk about it. But for now, here are me and Steve. So last year, you set about the task of discerning the uh, top 100 single issues of all time, and you reached out to the entire comics journalism community to do it, which, first of all, thank you, because you know it was an honor to be included in this project, and three of my picks ended up making the list. Um, you know, I, I don't know if there was an average for uh, <laughs> submitters and, and, and how many of their things got in, but... Uh, you know, to kind of start off here, what what was the impetus uh, for you to, to take on this project? There were a few, actually. Um, one of the main things for me is that um, within comics journalism or internet journalism as a whole, there's this view of uh, lists as being dirty, unsavory things that, that you don't really want to see anymore. So it's easy, cheap journalism almost. But I've always enjoyed reading a list. I've always enjoyed going on to... CBR, whatever, and looking at the top 10 dankest Hulk memes. And, <laughs> well, maybe not that list particularly, but I'm sure some people do. But I, I love a list. I think lists are fascinating. They're such an interesting democratic process. And you get to see basically the whole of an industry at once, but viewed through some really weird, twisted perspectives. And it makes everything seem more interesting. So I thought it'd be really interesting to, to do something like that. Um, I was kind of spurred on by the... AFI top 100 list that they do, um, the American Film Institute and the British Film Institute we've got over here. And I always thought there's there something quite classy about the way they did it. Um, they uh, just had this sort of anonymous poll 
and uh, brought in all his critics to do it properly. Rather than saying anyone can vote, let's get anyone who wants to be involved. They said, let's get actual critics, reviewers, people who have studied the medium or, or, or are trying to study the medium at the moment. Let's have them do the voting. And I thought, let's do the same thing for comics journalism. There are hundreds of people involved in comics journalism in all sorts of roles, in all sorts of places. And I think they get overlooked sometimes. And I thought it'd be quite nice to get to meet a lot of people I've never heard of before who write about comics or uh, vlog about them or podcast about them. And I thought it'd be really interesting to just, you know, get a sort of snapshot of where we all sit as a sort of collective and what comics we think are the best ones around at the moment. Uh, how many people did end up uh, submitting? It was just uh, under 100 people uh, submitted. Um, and then I had a few extra people as well who helped me. Um, this is a, a little sneaky, but um, towards the bottom of the list, um, some of the comics got the same vote as other comics. Mm -hmm. So I had an extra team of people, uh, two or three people, who uh, took those comics uh, that were joint placed and uh, kind of ranked them based on what they thought. Um, some people who hadn't submitted a list and said, I don't want to submit a list, but I'd like to be involved. So I had them kind of pick the comics and order them a little bit. So the uh, the the, bo the bottom of the list, actually, from about 100 to about 93, I think it is, those comics are, are actually been uh, uh, overseen more than any of the other ones. Those are the ones that, that had um, not just uh, selected by the critics, but then were actually kind of ranked as higher than the other ones by critics. You know, I, I did find that interesting that you don't really, you don't see any ties until you get to the 90s. Yeah, um, I think the, the thing about this list was that there's quite a lot of comics that exist, you know. So when I did this uh, thing, I said, you can vote for any comic you want. Uh, I kind of forgot that there's about a million comics out there. So everybody picked these top 10 lists that were completely separate to all the other top 10 lists. Uh, no one matched each other. Um, so at the top, you had a few comics that everyone was going for. Everyone's picking the same few. And so the top 10 was really well defined. But then you get to the bottom 25 or so until right towards the end. There are a lot of comics there that were just all on the same amount of points as each other. And, and there's nothing to, to pick apart from between them all, which I think is why the bottom of the list is actually a bit more interesting than the top of the list. Because there's some really strange choices in there. There's some comics in there that I wouldn't put in there, but I'm quite glad that people did. Uh, the, I guess, number 100, uh, you know, whatever the, you know, what was like the minimum number of votes that a book had to get to end up making the, the top 100? Uh, it had to get uh, two votes, uh, which isn't very many. Um, but uh, I had a system where um, uh, people basically would send me their top 10 lists. And uh, from there, uh, their first picked comic would get 10 points and their 10th place comic would get one point. Uh, so everyone's points kind of accumulated from there. So when you time you get to the bottom of the list, you've got probably one person who's picked it as their top comic and someone else has picked it as like their eighth or ninth or tenth favorite comic. So they're all kind of on, you know, about 10, 11, 12 points towards the bottom of the list, um, which made the list a bit strange towards the end, but also made people really devoted to the comics that appeared right at the bottom, which is quite nice. So you'd have comics show up towards the bottom, like um, you've got the uh, uh, Submit Britannia issue of Avengers Assemble, which is a tie-in to Age of Ultron, um, starring British superhero characters written by Alan Ewing with uh, Mitch 
Oh, is it Mitch Garads? I don't think it is. Uh, as the artist, I'll have to check on the artist for that one. Oh, hold but, on, um, I, got, I, got the, I got the list up here. <laughs> I probably should have done that myself, to be honest. <laughs> uh, uh, no, Butch Geis. Butch Geis, yes, yes. I always get them mixed up. They all did uh, Captain America together, didn't they? Um, so um, an issue like that is one that I think has, by every right, it should have been forgotten about by now. But there's just a little core uh, contingent of people who are such big fans of that issue that I think someone picked it as their 10th favourite issue and then someone picked it as their second favourite issue, so it made it into the list just, but only on the basis of one person loving it and someone <laughs> else remembering it. That is that is the magic of Al Ewing, though, that he can take even the, the throwawayest of books and uh, <laughs> make it matter somehow. It's, it's amazing. There's some writers who are just really gifted at taking the stupidest assignments and making them into something brilliant. Um, Al Ewing is, is, is one of them. Uh, I think Cy Spurrier can do the same sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, Catherine Imminent's brilliant at that sort of thing, actually. Um, you can give Catherine Imminent a really difficult assignment and she will do something so strange and, and vivid with it. Um, she's, she's one of my favorite writers anyway, but there are some writers uh, who are just can just create something memorable like that. And I think you get quite a lot of those issues towards the bottom of the list in particular. Uh, and then they kind of dot themselves through the rest of the uh, rest of the top hundred. Um, what were some of those entries that, uh, you know, we talked, we talked about obviously this age of Ultron trying issue. What were some of the other entries that surprised you? Uh, we had uh, graffiti kitchen make the top 100 list, uh, the first issue of it, which is a comic I've never heard of before, and I actually couldn't get hold of. Uh, I tried to, once I had the top 100 list confirmed and completed, I wrote about every single one of them as I did the rundown, and I thought, well, I'd better get a copy of this Graffiti Kitchen and see what's going on. It was published by someone called Tundra Publishing in 1993. Uh, it's, it's by Eddie Campbell, this. It's an autobiography thing in his series of comics called Alec, I believe, but oh, it's difficult to find it. I, I actually couldn't find it anywhere. So it's the one comic in the top hundred list I actually haven't read yet. Um, it's just it's it's available on Comicsology, I think, as part of this massive two hundred page collection. I don't have the money for that sort of thing. So I thought, well, Graham McMillan's written something quite nice about it. I'll just copy paste that in, <laughs> and that'll, that'll do my job for me. I'll just I'll just slack off there for a bit. Um, so that was one that really caught me off guard because uh, I, I kind of thought every issue would be something I'd heard of. There are so many comics out there, but there's so many comics that people know and relate to that didn't make this list at all. And I'm so surprised at some of the ones that got completely forgotten about. So something like Graffiti Kitchen sneaking in. Or there's another one which is very similar called Eel Mansions, mm-hmm. uh, which I think was one of Daniel Elkin's uh, pet projects. Um uh, and it's just these really strange little comics that you don't expect to see in a list like this. Um, another one, which I was thrilled to see in the, in the top of the list, actually, was um, uh, at number 86, we had Emily Carroll got onto the list with uh, His Face All Red, which is a horror series. Well, it was a horror one-shot thing she did uh, as a webcomic, but she's printed it as self-published uh, work, so it, it counted for the list because of that. Um, and it's a brilliant creepy little story about um, this man who uh, uh, lives in a tiny little village in a forest and he goes out of his brother and his brother doesn't come back. Um, so he starts taking the praise for what happened. Then suddenly the brother walks back into the life, but it's not quite the brother he was remembering. 
and it's it, it, I won't say what happens, but it's so strange and unusual. And I love that there was space for a comic like that in this top hundred list. Um, you know, one of the things that surprised me, uh, not because not it, you know, obviously this isn't a bad book by any stretch, but uh, I could not believe how many issues of uh, Fraction and Aha's Hawkeye made the list. Yeah, neither could I. <laughs> a few too many, I would perhaps suggest. Um, I'm, I, there are comics in this list that I don't think should be in there, but uh, I had to let them stay. Um, I think Hawkeye's got too many issues in the top 100 list. I do agree. I think there are some issues which I expected to be in here. I expected the Pizza Dog issue to be in here, mm-hmm. and I actually kind of expected the finale to be in there, the Rio Grande yeah. uh, issues right at the end, but that didn't make it. But... I was really surprised to have issue three made the list. That was that was the one that I think surprised me the most of the three. Yeah, at four, I think it is. There's there's oh, actually wow. four issues of Hawkeye in the whole of this list. It's it's bizarre. It's it's this it's one of the most popular comics in here, uh, alongside Uncanny X Men. But Uncanny X Men had a few more issues in its run, so you know it's not quite a fair comparison. But you've got Hawkeye number three was in here. Uh, there's the um, uh, the things what don't get spoke is in this list as well, which is the uh, the issue where Hawkeye, uh, who has a hearing impairment, uh, it, it reactivates, I suppose, after he's, um, I think, shot at and, uh, and it affects his hearing. So that's the issue where he's uh, uh, doing a lot of sign language and it's a lot of non-verbal communication between the characters. And then you've also got Six Days in the Life of, which is the Christmas one, yes. which starts out with the 2D scrolling section like a fighter game and then <laughs> just goes all over the place with like uh, struggling to set his TV up and uh, uh, shooting his TV aerial and all sorts of weird nonsense. It's, it's all fun, is Hawkeye. I am surprised it's in the top 100, but I suppose it, it probably speaks to um, the particular generation of critics that I probably got roped into this. Um, because a lot of people who were involved in this, I think, probably really start getting to reading, and Hawkeye was the first critical success of their comics criticism career. So for a lot of people, when they first started writing or reading about comics in a particular generation, Hawkeye was the big comic. It was the one that everyone was talking about, and so it made this big splash. It's For many people, it's, like, it's the equivalent of Swamp Thing, or it's the equivalent of 100 Bullets, or the equivalent of... Animal Man. It's this comic that took everyone by surprise and just became this massive thing that just it just swept everyone away. And so it's quite interesting to see that we have got more modern comics that have now got this sort of cult following who are still remembering and still supporting the comic even after it finished now. Yeah, that is that is fascinating. I hadn't thought about that. They, yeah, that you know, for the the younger generation, Hawkeye's like their uh, like their Watchmen. Yeah, exactly. Because as well, it was a finite run. And so you've got, for the most part, you've got David Aha doing all the issues. And obviously you've got Fraction doing all the issues as well. Mm-hmm. So it's this self-contained piece of work which made an effort to make uh, individual issues stand out in some way. Because I think that's a big thing for the top 100 list as well, is that mm-hmm. if you can make a comic that's something a bit different to everything else in the run, it gives people reason to vote for a particular one. Um, an issue with Uncanny X-Men is that there's so many issues of it and everyone's got a different favourite. So a lot of people picked it, uh, an issue or two, but not many of them actually made the final list because no one could make an agreement. Whereas you've got something like Hawkeye 
everyone's kind of agreed that the pizza dog issue is a good issue. So everyone's voting for it, and it just tallies up, and it just you know quickly builds up, and you get a quite a lot of points accumulated for the same issue. Um, were there were there certain comics that you felt like the list had just the right amount of of issues represented? Like I feel like you know it didn't go overboard on X Men, but there was certainly enough there, or um, like Watchmen or Brian K Vaughan comics, for example. I think it certainly um, it, it catches a lot of different high points in the X Men's run. Um, I thought Superman as well, actually. Superman had quite a lot of different issues come through, uh, different styles of comics, different eras of comics that show how long that character's lasted for. There was not as many Batman issues as I thought there'd be, but there's a lot of Superman. I think perhaps that stands to the idea that Batman is this more serialized as a character, while Superman is more prone to big superhero-inspiring moments. So you'll get these comics like, um, uh, well, obviously... All Star Superman 10, which uh, which won the list, which was number one, yeah, um, which is just full of these big moments for Superman that people remember. And uh, there's two issues I think in the list where Superman dies. Um, so you've got the actual death of Superman, Doomsday, uh, which is uh, issue 75 uh, in the list, and then you've also got the death of Superman, which is from a much earlier time. And oh, what issue was that? That was. Uh, I can't remember what issue that was. That's from that's from right back in the day, like the 1940s, 1950s. I think that was issue 149 of Superman. And again, it's an issue where Lex Luthor poisons Superman and wins. It's, a, it's an old universe story, but I think there's something about a character like Superman who can evolve and adapt over the years. Uh, so we can have a cool mullet for a bit, but you know, <laughs> then, he, then he can swap around to uh, perhaps something a bit more conventional. But over the years, for the most part, he's been at the forefront. He's been someone who can still remain inspiring even now. So these issues have stood the test of time through so many different eras. You know, there aren't many characters. There isn't much Spider-Man, for example. You know, you've got a little bit of um, um, Stan and Steve at the start. Mm -hmm. And then there's this big, long gap before I think you get to Spider-Man 200. And I think that's about it for him. Uh, number much. Yeah, I'm sorry. I was going to say number three is that uh, Dicko issue. Yes. Yeah. Um, the final chapter. Yeah. Which I think most people were predicting was going to win this list because uh, I will say the last few days of voting came around the sort of time where Steve Ditko sadly passed away and then obviously Stan mm -hmm. passed away as well. So there was a bit of thing that could have helped uh, uh, big up their votes a little bit. But that is an issue I've heard about and never have the time to read. And when I actually sat down and read it, so I could write a little blurb about it for the uh, for the website, I was amazed by it. I thought it was brilliant. It was just this this issue that just encapsulated the character in some fascinating ways. I I didn't realise the way that Steve Ditko drew the character until I got to read it in a, a, a sequence, I suppose. Uh, have you read it yourself? Yes. It's been a while, but uh, yeah. Yeah. There's something about him. He's just so weird and angular and there's something lanky and uncoordinated about him even when he's spider-man he's flipping through the air or or running through the town as i think he does in this issue there's something just a bit weird about him he doesn't seem like a natural leading superhero type he's someone more relatable and and uncoordinated it's it's fascinating to see them put together this character who is just a teenager in a superhero's world and it 
considering it was what decades ago this was made it really stands up as just a brilliant issue absolutely and you know not to be outdone i really you know getting back to superman i i think the number one choice here nails it just i mean all-star obviously is is kind of peak you know the, the platonic ideal of of superman and that's probably that you know that issue where he knows he's dying and is just trying to you know do everything even more so <laughs> yeah it it could be you know it could take in this story and headed in a really sad downbeat direction with it but instead they thought what we need to do actually is just showcase this character and you know it's this weird idea that throughout the series he's infected with sunlight and it just keeps bursting out of him over the course of the series as it goes on and towards the end it's literally he's radiating this beautiful bright light out of himself and it, it kind of reflects the comic as a whole this idea that it just wants to keep shining good at the reader for once um i've read there's been a lot of uh, a bounce back on the list as a whole and some of it has been around you know our oh, all-star superman what a cheesy choice for the number one but i think there's something to be said about critics the ragtag bunch of losers that we are <laughs> just getting together and going Actually, it's quite nice to be inspired for once. It's quite nice to get something that's just like motivational and, and, and makes you want to be a better person and it makes you want to write or draw, to be honest. And it's it's really nice to have something that's just sincere about its superheroism. That's not a word, but I've made it one. And <laughs> it's really nice to have um, uh, this character who just fits the the mould of this, of this superhero type. So... The Superman himself is created during the issue by this anonymous artist and writer. Um, and it just, what I really liked about the issue was this idea that there's always going to be a Superman. There's, no matter what you do, you can try and take away all the hope, all the light, all the, all the, all the happiness in the world. Eventually, Superman's going to come and he's going to give us something to work towards. And I just really liked that idea of there's always hope. There's so many issues in this top 100 list um, because, again, critics are dour and grim types, <laughs> which have you know a d quite depressing finale or something goes wrong or, or it's not quite where you want it to be. But Superman just making the top, uh, making the top of the list, I think it just really goes to show that there is something in having that happy, nice, joyful comics world even now. It's just nice to have something that takes you away from everything else that's going on and gives you something bright and happy to enjoy. Absolutely. And I think, you know, um, I can't speak to, to Astro City one half. Unfortunately, that is a blind spot in my reading. But I think, you know, your number one and your number three picks there, the, that specific Superman issue and that specific Spider-Man issue, both kind of double team to to be kind of voices for, you know, the hope and the endless determination that, you know, when superheroes are at their best, provide. Yeah, it's it's not just this idea that the superheroes there on the page and you have to, and, and you watch them and they go for the story and whatever happens, happens. It's this idea that you watch it and you relate to it and you, you aspire to it, I suppose. Uh, Spider-Man and, and Superman, both these characters who can be drawn to be really... Uh, likeable and relatable or can be drawn to be really distant and weird and these two issues just really get it 
it really keeps punching you with this idea like these are nice people trying their best and you could be too and it's it's it is cheesy but i quite like that i i i think it's nice that these aspirational stories are making it so high into a list um so i have to say i've, I've looked at this before people have tried doing a list like this before this is the first one i think which has had um it's been critic chosen um and uh, wizard magazine had about uh 15 years ago i think they put together a list like this but that was just done by their team and the difference between their list and this list is is kind of fascinating because all the comics towards the uh i would say the, the 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 bottom of the top 10 and moving out into the 20s are the comics that would make the top 10 15 years ago and a lot of them have shifted out the way and been replaced with more optimistic or positive stories so You've got these comics that everyone's everyone always acclaims, like The Dark Knight Returns, or uh, you've got Flexman Tallow, uh, you've got Watchmen, you've got uh, For the Man Who Was Everything, the Superman issue, where he gets eaten by roses and stuff. Um, but they've been pushed down a little bit this, this time round, and been pushed down by stuff like Hawkeye or Ms. Marvel. Uh, they've been pushed down by stuff like... Um, uh, well, Astro City's come quite high, which is weird, to be honest. But you've got Saga, you've got Bitch Planet, you've got all these sort of unexpected new comics pushing their way through and pushing some of the slightly downer, perhaps, comics of the past that were acclaimed back then and moving something absolutely new into their place. And that generation shift, I think people have talked about before, but I think that's an interesting part of this list as well. Absolutely. Uh out of curiosity, uh, how many of your top ten made the list? That is a good question, and <laughs> I will have to just double check. Quite a few of them, I think, actually. Let's see, I've got, uh, uh, well, speaking of happy comics, I picked Giant Days as one of my top ten. Uh, the first issue, um, Giant Days is a comic that's always spoken to me because uh, I, I know John Allison a little bit from being in the UK comic scene, and uh, I've read uh, Giant Days back when he was self-publishing and he was drawing it himself. Um, so to see something like that um, go from being a, a webcomic and a self-published piece of work to being something that worked as a serialized comic published by a, a company like Boom, it was, it was fantastic to see, to see um, finally this, this writer who's got such a specific, wonderful voice actually get the chance to, to really showcase it over years and years. I was really excited about that. So I picked Giant Days. Um, and then uh, I also had um, All-Star Superman 10. That made it partway through my list. Uh, and I had the final issue of Why the Last Man. Mm. Um, again, uh, what I said to people when I when I said, I want a top ten from you, if that's possible, please, was I said, this doesn't have to be objective in any sort of way. You can pick the nature of your top ten list. If you want to do a list and you want it to just be notable comics from the last uh, hundred years or whatever, you can do that. And that's why you've got some comics like New Fun, and Action Comics 1 in the list. Right. They're, they're perhaps not comics that are actually, in quality terms, worthy of being in the top 100 list, but they're noteworthy. And then I said to people, if you want, just make something subjective, something that's completely personal to you. And so you've got this mix of those important comics, and you've got these just silly, personal, idiosyncratic choices that fit in there as well. Which is why, for me, one thing I was happiest for seeing was seeing Lucifer make the top 100 list. Um, I picked that one as my number one issue. 
and uh, I think someone else picked it as their number five issue. So it made it to about position 75, I think, mm. in the top 100. And Lucifer, for me, is uh, it's basically like an improvement of Sandman. It's what if Sandman was good? Let's do something like that. Um, I'm saying these things to make people mad at me. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> Lucifer, to me, is probably one of my favorite comic runs ever. Um, but it's very hard to pick a particular one that, that, that stands out. Um, but the issue that made it into the top 100 list, I think it's issue 26. And for me, that's just one of those comics that anyone else could read it and go, that's a good comic. I read it and I think I cried a little bit when I read it because it's such an upsetting ending. But there's something about it that just spoke to me. And uh, for that reason, I was really pleased that uh, it made it into the top 100 list as a whole. But actually, also, it made it so high up. Um, I think Mike Carey's totally unappreciated as a, as a writer. Uh, he wrote my favorite X-Men run. He's written some brilliant creator-owned stuff, and um, maybe got on a bit with the unwritten. But while the unwritten was good, it was really good. And it's just nice that there's um, this opportunity for people to kind of put their own spin on this top hundred list. That part of the idea I did with it, as I said, was I want this to be a hundred list that was subjective and strange. So it wasn't just going to be a hundred Vertigo comics, and there you go. I want this to be, well, I suppose Lucifer is a Vertigo comic, but still. But I want this to be a list where people would just have these personal choices and completely twist around what people expected from a hundred list. And I think in those terms, it's been quite successful, which has been really satisfying to me. Um, you started, the, I think I remember the initial email went out over the summer, and then mm. the list started cropping up in December. Um, in the intervening months, uh, you know, how, how much of your, your life and time did, did this list uh, eat up? <laughs> I do a lot of chasing of people. Um, there's a lot of people who said, oh, this sounds like a really good idea. I'll talk to you in two months. Because <laughs> um, there were some, you know, a lot of people who were involved in this um, were uh, full-time freelancers uh, doing work for major companies across the world. They were, um, the thing about this list, I suppose, it's not just me and my mates, it's people I've never really met before from um, France, from Spain, Australia, um, there's some uh, Japanese writers, there's some Canadian, American, Mexican. So there's a lot of people who would say, this sounds really good, but I can only do it if you give me four months notice <laughs> and uh, I'll, I'll start putting things together then. And, and some people as well, which I thought was quite interesting as a whole, was um, some people couldn't put together a top 10 list. Um, some people I expected to be right in there of a top 10 list just said outright, oh, I can't do this. This isn't the sort of thing I can run with. And some people said, I could do a top five. I could do a top eight. And so there were top five lists. There were top eight lists. There were people who, um, I suppose, struggled to associate single issues of runs. So there are a lot of people who would say, oh, I really enjoy all of um, the, the death of Jason Todd, death in the family but I can't remember which issue is which, so I can't pick one. So a lot of stories actually kind of got cut out a little bit because they've not quite got into the grips of people. Uh, they've not quite got into people's minds the way you'd expect them to. Um, so it took a little while as well to get some people to actually agree to pick any issues, which uh, was part of the struggle, I suppose, with this list. Um, and then the trick was once I actually got the 100 list together was to try and make it make sense and make sure everything's assembled in the right way because you don't want to have this hundred list and then 
accidentally knocked two points off a comic that knocked it out of the top 100 list. There were some people, and I feel really guilty about this, who sent in a top 10 list and none of their comics made the list. Ah. I feel really bad for them. I feel really sorry for them. <laughs> so if uh, Dylan, Todd, if you're listening to this, I apologise. Um, just, you know, have better taste in comics next time. But it's <laughs> one of those things that I just, I, I, I didn't realise that actually there'd be so much interest in this as a whole that I would have to knock out some comics um, that people picked as their favourite. Um, I thought everyone would get at least one pick in there. But it wasn't the case in the end. Um. From from this, uh, you know, you've been able to build out a series of, of guest essays on on your site, Shelf Dust, uh, from submitters on the individual issues. Are you kind of looking to eventually have like one for every entry in the top one hundred? Oh, that would be fantastic. I would I would love that. Um, that is part of the plan. Uh, I am kind of hoping to get one on every single issue. Uh, but there are some which I want to do myself, and mm-hmm. I don't have the time for it. So there's some I'm kind of hoarding a little bit. There have been people who said, oh, you know, it'd be really nice if I could write about the final issue of Journey into Mystery. And in my head, I'm like, that's a great idea. But what I type in my email is, no, that's mine. You can't have that. That's my issue. I need to write about this one. I won't do it for three or four years, but when I get to it, it's going to be great. Um it, it would be fantastic to do that. One thing about this whole thing was I wanted to kind of showcase critics. Um, with the internet being what it is, people don't always get to have their voice the way they, they, they used to. Um, blogs aren't read as much as they used to be. Twitter's become a bit too popular in those terms. So I wanted to kind of, after I did the top 100 list, bring in some of the people who participated and some people didn't and say, these top 100 comics, like, what do you think about them? Are there any you want to actually talk about and you want to discuss? Because there are some good comics in here. There's some great comics in here. There's some bad comics in here. Let's talk about which ones are which. And and people have surprised me of what they, what they like and what they don't like. Um, but it's been fantastic to have people come in and, and just give me their take on the comics. Um, when I asked Kelly Kalyama, who's a fantastic writer uh, based in Scotland at the moment, um, she's written for, for Nerdist and, and uh, various websites. Mm-hmm. When I asked her to give me her top uh, 10 list, she picked a top 10, but she's a massive fan of the Punisher. And so what she did as part of a top 10 list was she wrote like a little comment for each issue that she picked. But when she got to the Punisher, she just kept going and going and going. So she, by the time she'd finished her comment and sent me an email, she was like, Steve, I'm sorry, this is 800 words long. I've written 800 words just as a private email to you about how much I love the Punisher. So I went, okay, well, you know, I'll buy that off you. <laughs> so that was the first essay we ran. And from there, it's just kind of spiraled out. And we've had Graham McMillan writing about OMAC. And we've had, uh, well, we've got coming up, we've got uh, Samantha Puke. Uh, I don't have to pronounce the name actually. It's Puck? Puke? We'll have to see. So, uh, from Women Write About Comics. She's writing about sex criminals. And we've got people writing at Hellboy. And we've got people writing about Casanova. And... One thing I suppose it does is when you read a top hundred list, you skim it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, you kind of you kind of you know look at it and go, I'd pick that, I wouldn't pick that, and then you move on. By doing these essays now, following up, it puts a bit more voice and character into each of the issues. So Daniel Elkin is writing about Casanova, which is coming out in a few weeks' time, and he's written this weird, crazy, fun little essay, uh, very sweary, but he's like that. Um, 
And then you've got from there, you jump across to uh, Al Kennedy wrote about uh, issue 10 of Bone, which is the great cow race issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is completely different to, to Daniel's style of writing. Uh, then you bring in what else have we had? I'm trying to remember who we've had now. It's, it's all going on at the moment. I can't keep track of myself half the time. Uh, it's been really popular, this whole thing, which has been pleasing. Uh, we've had uh, Tiffany Babro about um, the final issue of FF by John Hickman and Nick Dragota. And that was a really nice piece just about finales and possibility and opportunity. And then you compare that to um, uh, Colin Smith writing about the spirit, the, the last uh, the last trolley. He wrote about that issue, which somehow made the top 100 list, which is uh, amazing and strange. And then you go from there to uh, Osvaldo uh, Oyola, who wrote about Omega the Unknown, which is an issue he's very familiar with, having written about it before. And it just brought all these different voices and styles to the comics, which I suppose you don't always get with comics websites. Mm-hmm. When people are writing for a website, be it their own or something else, I suppose they're never writing for some uh, for for they're never writing to assignment in a way. So when you can say to someone, "Here are a hundred comics to pick from, which one do you want to write about?" They're given this opportunity to go right. Actually, what do I want to talk about for once? It's, I, I don't know if you feel the same, but when you're writing or, or, or talking about comics or, or investigating them a little bit, whatever you're doing, it can be quite difficult sometimes to actually step back and go, what do I actually want to do? You kind of feel like sometimes there's pressure to do the most recent stuff, the, the popular stuff, the stuff that everyone's heard of. But actually, if someone just steps back and says, here's 100 comics, they're completely random and weird. Do you want to write about any of them? It's this great opportunity to... to show yourself off a little bit and, and have fun while writing something about a medium that you do love. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it's also the, the great, you know, it's also a great way to go about, you know, like I think you've been trying to do elevating those voices that, you know, don't always get heard. Which, yeah. Which is great. In the, in the top hundred list. Um, again, this is a, a thing which I suppose came somewhat naturally based on the people I know, but, um, this is a list where there was this unconscious uh, understanding that there were going to be women in this list. There were actually going to be women choosing their top ten list, which is crazy. You know, Wizards Magazine would never think of that sort of thing. Um, so it, 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 I think that, again, it changes things a little bit. You know, um, having um, women of colour, having um, non-binary people, having um, trans women, trans men right, uh, picking their top ten list. It changes the sort of comics that appear in this list. Um, people have said things like, oh, I'm surprised that Bitch Planet rated so high. Then you think, actually, the people who voted for that were people who actually were represented in it for the first time. This is a comic that actually gave some represent- representation to a fat black woman. And maybe if someone who's writing about it can see themselves in that character, they're actually going to pick it for the first time. And having these people who don't normally get to take part in these sorts of lists I think made the list a lot more interesting, a lot less predictable, and moved it forward a little bit. The The concept of a top 100 list is, in principle, I think it's it's associated with white men. Because, you know, white men, I myself, we ran, you know, the AFI top 100 list. Or we tend to be, we tend to vote for all the rubbish films at the Oscars. Like We, we, we keep saying that Oasis are good. You know, we keep making these sort of strange choices. I apologize for an Oasis fan. Um, but 
these, these, I think the thing that's important about this is is it's given people who don't normally get a chance to love comics because the two is writing about the injustices and the the rightful problems of comics. It's given them a chance to actually this time write about something they do enjoy and approach it from a different perspective. I think that's been really entertaining and really interesting to see. Um, I mean, I've still had people writing essays which are, you know, critical of the comics, which I think is also really interesting and fascinating. But it's just nice to have people talking about comics for what they are rather than for the weird and sometimes horrible industry that surrounds them. I, I think that's that's a that's a good transition uh, to talk a little bit about. In addition to you know having having shelf dust, you're a co-editor of the MNT, which is a combination comics uh, newsletter uh, website. And you know there's there's definitely a push right now and a market out there for comics journalism that goes beyond what you might see on on you know the mainstream sites. Uh, you know, real. You know, kind of just to start real quick. What is the origin of of the MNT? How long has that been out there? Uh, it's been out there just uh, coming up on two years now. Um, the first edition we put out was February twenty seventeen, so uh, we just put out edition twenty four uh, about a week ago. So uh, every that's every month. Um, every month we've done it. Uh, we put out a uh, newsletter for people who subscribe to us on Patreon. And uh, that newsletter has gone out with uh, updated, uh, full reported news stories. It's gone out with guest features from writers who've been paid using the Patreon. It's gone out with reviews, interviews, features. It's it's every edition we try to fill with as much thing, as much stuff as possible um, to kind of create this little package that every month goes out. And you never know what kind of coverage we're going to give the industry. But you know we're going to give it something, hopefully, that's interesting and a bit different. Um, it came about because I was talking with uh, Christian Hoffer, who's a brilliant writer, a really nice really nice guy, Pokemon fanatic, uh, who, who writes a lot for comicbook.com and uh, other websites like that. And then uh, we also were speaking with Megan Purdy uh, from Women Write About Comics. And the three of us were all looking for something slightly different and new to do. We all kind of finished the, the work we've been doing, whether we were doing it. And we needed a challenge. We needed something to do. And we kind of all agreed to this idea that we quite liked the idea of using Patreon as a direct way of creating and and making stuff real. Uh, with Patreon, which is, you know, for us, it's been a great service. You can literally say, here's our Patreon page for every $50 we raise a month we'll just buy an essay from someone. It's, it's very tangible in that way, which is nice. You can say, here is the amount of money we're making. We can literally break it down for you in front of you and say, this much goes to this writer, this goes to this writer, this goes to this writer. And it's just generating content for people. But it's quite important for us as well, because we've all been managing editors of websites. I've written for uh, The Beat and Comics Bulletin, CBR, Comics Alliance. I was a managing editor of uh, The Beat for a few years. And we've all worked this idea that you work for free. And one thing I think is important is give people a chance to be paid. Um, not just to write for a website and get a bit of exposure, because people die of exposure, but mm -hmm. give people something that will, you know, give them, give them something, some payments, some sort of sense of, I suppose it's a sense of validation in a way as well. It's this idea that you're not just getting paid for, for doing good writing, it's you're getting paid for doing good writing, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. It's not just a transaction. It's us saying we appreciate your work. We really enjoy your work. 
we want to see more. We want to, we want you to feel supported by us. Um, so we've had the we've had fantastic writers, um, uh, terrific people. We've had uh, Art Oloma, we've had Juliet Kahn, we've had uh, Jay Michelin. Uh, we've featured people like um, Serna Maktar, who's a friend of mine, so that was, I suppose, cheating. But we've had people like Joe Illich uh, interviewed. We've interviewed people like uh, Ariel Johnson, who, who owns Amalgam Comics in uh, Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm from Yorkshire, so I say Philadelphia. <laughs> slightly weird. Um, but it's just been a great chance to kind of go through the comics industry and slowly build up a little bit and and get support from strange places and make something a bit different and a bit new um i don't personally um my approach to this whole thing has been it's all additive to the industry so i don't like this idea that everybody hates cbr uh, or everybody hates IGN or Newsarama or Nerdist or <laughs> any sort of the popular websites because they write about movies as well or they write about TV as well. I think anything, any website that has some sort of feature about comics is adding something else to the to the marketplace or to the, the readership. So every single person who writes something or does a video or does a podcast or draws something or does some kind of as far as uh, investigation into comics or evaluation of it, or criticism of it, they're all adding something different and a different voice. So the MNT is very much geared towards this idea of saying to someone, please write something that's from your voice and about any topic you want it to be. Um, we've had people writing very specific articles for the uh, for the newsletter, which only they would have written about. So when Juliet Kahn's writing, I said, what do you want to write about? She said, well, Wonder Woman, because that's what Julia Kahn says to most things. Um, so she went off and she wrote this brilliant essay about not Wonder Woman exactly, but the other women of Wonder Woman. Wonder Woman. Other women of Wonder Woman. There we go. And it was just, it was just a piece about Etta Candy and um, the other Amazons and the other women who were in the golden era of Wonder Woman were just there in the periphery, talking with her, interacting with her, and then kind of got phased out as different men took over the comic and made it more manly and gave us more of that Steve uh, Trevor that nobody likes. But <laughs> it was it was just those opportunities to do things like that. We just thought that's something that's really entertaining and, and really interesting to us. And through having the Patreon, we could have a website that, and, uh, and a newsletter that was just about comics and focused exclusively on those. Uh, we're not too bothered about doing good business or, or getting sponsorship or doing any of that sort of thing. I don't think any of us have this idea that we're going to become rich, famous millionaires from writing about comics. But, you know, without that sort of barrier in your way, you can just do whatever you want. So if you want to, you know, hire someone to write uh, 5,000 words about the demon, you can, because that's what people are paying for. And it's great there's an audience for it, and it's great that there's writers who want to tackle these sort of weird, unusual approaches towards comics. Plus, uh, you know, you mentioned the whole idea of everything being additive. The more mm. that's out there, the more people that can contribute to the top 100 list. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, when you wrote to me, you wrote to me about the 100 list, I think, because I put it out on Twitter. I did, yes. Uh, I, I, I didn't. We didn't know each other at the time. And you wrote to me and you said, you know, I've, I've got this new website we've just launched. Because um, what, you launched in January last year, was that right? Uh, yeah, actually, our year birthday, we're recording this on the 14th. So tomorrow, the 
15th, which will be the past, obviously, by the time this comes out. <laughs> uh, I believe that is our official uh, birthday. Oh, I hope we make it to then. That's, that's, that's you know, that's, that's brilliant. You've, uh, when, when I wrote to you about it, you, you said you had this website. And I said, that's brilliant. I had a look through it. There's all these articles, all these different writers I've never heard of. You had the podcast running on. You had everything going on. And I thought, I've never heard of you guys before, in fairness. Uh, but how great that there was this extra bit of the industry that was just out there and waiting to be, you know, waiting to be found. You know, and there's people who feel the same, who know all about yourselves, but don't know who the MNT are. And hopefully it bounces back the other way because I want those viewers. Absolutely. But <laughs> it, it, it was, I, I was just really excited to find a new website to read because I, uh, I, I enjoy reading articles about comics and reading people's thoughts and different approaches. And, you know, WMQ was just this other venue which added on to everything else there was. If you don't like something, you don't have to read it. And if you're the sort of person who thinks, I don't want to read the reviews on IGN, even though the reviews on IGN have stopped now, but when they were doing reviews, if you thought, I don't like those reviews, all you have to do is not read them and go across to, I don't know, uh, the Comics Journal or Sequential State or Comics and Cola or uh, any of these other options, Women Write About Comics. They're all out there and they're just waiting for people to read them. And anything that brings more eyes to unexpected places, I think it's a good thing. Absolutely. Um, how do you sort of balance your time between these two, you know, projects between Shelf Dust and the MNT? And I imagine you've also got a full-time job, you know, that you're doing or, you know, another job that you're doing to, to kind of uh, make ends meet in the meantime. You know, what's your kind of uh, uh, work, work, work balance, I guess? <laughs> <laughs> I, do have a, I do have a day job. Um, uh, that's an important thing, I think, as well, actually, just to point out that I have a day job. Uh, there are probably about 20 people in the world who get paid full-time to write English articles about comics. There aren't many of us. Um, and, um, you know, I, I have a day job to keep myself going so I can afford to do these things. And for myself personally, I suppose, I have uh, days for each website that I work on. So luckily, I've got Christian who helps me edit the the, uh, the MNT, and we've got uh, writers who are kind of staff writers: uh, Kirsten Thompson, uh, John Eric Christianson, Vernita Vergara. Um, we've got Claire Napier and Daryl Io, people who we can rely on to to bring us uh, new pieces as and when. So the MNT runs a lot faster than anything else, I think. Um, Shelf dust has only really become a bit of a an, act, an active thing recently. It's been going for about almost two years now I think but it's always been the side project for me uh, so the tricky thing really is to kind of balance the MNT which actually pays me a little bit mm -hmm. with shelf dust which I do just for the fun of it um, but now we've got this great place where I write for the MNT and as a writer I get £50 a month for it and that £50 I split that up and that's uh, two and a half articles of shelf dust that I can now afford to pay so it kind of all splits uh, around like that, which is quite quite lucky, really, I suppose, that I've had that support for the MNT that I can then use to build up some some other websites and some other writers. And that is fantastic. Um, in the midst of all this, uh, what are you reading right now? Oh, good question. Uh, I am reading all kinds of strange comics at the moment. Um, where am I? Uh, the, the, the comics that I'm reading for Shelf Dust at the moment... So at the moment on Shelf Dust, um, we've got all these top 100 essays coming through one a week at the moment. Uh, we also have a feature called the, the Annotated Giant Days, which we do. This is a feature where 
um, myself and Brits, including Claire Napier and uh, uh, Clark Bursko, we basically break down every issue of Giant Days one page at a time and say, you know, Americans may not understand uh, the difference between a sweater and a jumper or uh, a curb and a pavement. So we're here to kind of like explain all these weird English flourishes in the comic. So at the moment, we're planning on doing a second run of those from issue 13 up to issue 25, I think. So I'm reading those at the moment, and I love Giant Days. Giant Days is just this brilliant, fun, just charming series. I don't know if you've read it yourself. but I, I, I haven't, and it's like, it's that mm. one, like, you know, people who do talk about it, talk about it so uh, affectionately <laughs> that, you know, it's... It, I need to read it at some point. I need to read a lot of things. Yeah, that's the <laughs> thing. I pile is very large, but uh, I, I do want to get to Giant Days. Yeah, I, I keep feeling like I'm missing things all the time. There's so many comics, and I can't keep up with them. I, I've not read Immortal Hulk, but Zenab keeps saying I've got to, I've got to pick it up at some point because she loves a little green men. Um, I've, I've um, been reading um, a lot of Tilly Walden recently, mm-hmm. um, who's uh, uh, an artist from uh, Texas, I believe. Um, uh, she's basically the future of the industry as things stand. Um, I've been reading, uh, well, I suppose one of the things I really liked from last year was a book called Wash Day uh, by Jamila Rouser, who, again, I kind of know a little bit, uh, and drawn by Robin Smith. And uh, that's a really that's a really different comic. It's a really interesting sort of snapshot of American life, I suppose. Um, and it's just a story about uh, a black woman from America who washes her hair, talks to her friends, um, lounges around her house a little bit. But it's, it's so simple, but it was it was so different, and it had such a real voice to it that I really enjoyed that one. Um, so I'm kind of reading just anything that comes up at the moment. Um, John Eric Christensen recommended um, uh, Mare Internum, which is a webcomic by Dershing Helmer. And that's uh, this comic set. It's a webcomic. Uh, on her website, I think it's maircomic.com. And if you go there, that's a really good, sort of slightly weird, scary, Venom-styled story about this ghost planet. And I won't say much about that, but that is a comic that really surprised me. Because um, uh, I've read her previous work, uh, The Meek, which is, I suppose, a bit lighter at times or a bit stranger at times. This is more focused and it was surprising how quickly it caught me up with what was going on. So it's been stuff like that, really, that I've been reading at the moment. Oh, that sounds great. Uh, you know, that last one sounds fascinating. Um, mm. As we are, as we're wrapping up here, uh, sure. how, how can people follow you uh, in your work online if you, in fact, wish to be followed? I insist on being followed at all times. <laughs> and uh, you can find me online. Um, so... For myself, uh, I am Steve W. Morris, M-O-R-R-I-S, on Twitter. And then the websites I run, so the MNT, which has now shifted uh, from the newsletter format to focusing on the website. We're hoping to build up the website this year and made that our main concern. You can find that at comicsmnt.com or comicsmount, comicsmint, comicsmnt. Uh, I like to keep people guessing how you actually pronounce it. Comics Mutant Ninja um, Turtles. Uh, Kurt Busiek has uh, called it that repeatedly in the past and I tell him to stop but he won't um, which is why I demoted his comic from number one in the list um, but then you can also find me on Shelf Dust and Shelf Dust is literally just shelf, shelfdust.com 
that runs online at shelf to site on Twitter. Uh, and uh, you can email me shelf to site at gmail.com if you want to write about comics, uh, assuming you know how to do it or assuming you want to try it. We'll see. Um, so that's me, really. That's uh, all places you can find me. It's quite a few at the moment. All right, Steve. Thank you so much for your time. That's no problem at all. Thank you very much, and congratulations on your year. Thank you very much. That's it for this week's show. As always, you can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at WMQComics.com, where new episodes move Monday mornings. You can support WMQ&A and WMQComics.com at Patreon.com slash WMQComics, where just a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes and the ability to promote your work on our site, and two dollars gets you a customized bonus reading column written by our own Matt Lazowitz, built around the character, creator, or theme of your choice. You can follow WMQ Comics on Twitter and Facebook, and you can follow me on Twitter at Daniel P. Grote and Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013. Finally, check out WMQComics.com for all your comics news, previews, reviews, interviews, and plain old views, and we'll see you next time. WMQA!